Hey guys, we're back. This is Jason with Whatsoever is True. And today's study is on, well, the inconvenient truth. An inconvenient truth, if I can borrow former Vice President Gore's line, about the Pride Month. An inconvenient truth for the church for Pride Month. The point of it is, is that it's very easy for us to become a bit arrogant with what we're talking about. A little arrogant with the obvious nature of the sin that's on display and you know the, the pride marches and all of this stuff going on. I mean, clearly this is sin. Clearly the Bible calls uh, you know, pride a sin, much less, you know, much less homosexuality and so forth. So that's not what we're going to be talking about, though. What we want to talk about is how we're very often blind to things that are obvious. So Romans, Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, tell us something that's very instructive, and that is that we are truth suppressors. In sin, our natural tendency is to suppress the obvious. So we should always be asking ourselves, oh, am I suppressing the obvious here? Right? Am I missing something? Now, it's very easy to stand in judgment of the culture around us. You know, the woke culture is obviously, you might say, morally insane. Right? That's Romans one thirty-two. They not only, they know that, that God's righteous decree demands that, that there's judgment served on, on the sin, but they not, only do the, they not only do these things, but they give approval to those who practice them. And that's what's on display in June here. But before we get there, we realize these things are judgments from God against ungodliness and unthankfulness who, because people are not accepting the truth about God. And I think that that is really within the church. I think that we are very easily the cause of this cultural collapse. So that's why I said I think this is an inconvenient truth for us. So please hear me out. I think first, you know, as a self-defense instructor, that's my day job. You know, I often have to remind students to avoid the scourge of tunnel vision. And that happens because when the adrenaline dump hits us, that there is a, a, a reaction with our eyes that, that narrows down our, our, our field of vision. And, you know, obviously the extremities get heavier and they, they become a little less, a little less useful for fine motor skills and so forth. That, and that's an effect of the adrenaline dump. Well, I think as a Bible teacher, I need to do the same thing. I need to remind the, the, the Christians that there is a reaction to seeing such sin flaunted that can cause us a, a reaction of self-righteousness that brings us away from the truth of the gospel. And that is, we don't want to go into the church and go, hey, thank you, Lord, for saying I'm not a sinner like those guys, <laughs> right? Like the Pharisee there. Um, you know, thank you, I'm not like a Gentile, right? I'm not like that. And and that is very, very important for us to, to remember that we don't have righteousness in ourselves. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through faith and faith alone and through grace alone. So, you know, I mean, we're, again, awash in a culture that is, as I think Ligonier Ministries just called it the other day, I saw neo-pagan. So, I mean, for crying out loud, my iPhone is offering me a pride flag along with my usual array of smiley faces and thumbs up. So, that's where we're at, right? That's where we're at. So, anyway, the danger here is that we get that tunnel vision and we forget that we're saved. Notice the kindness and severity of God, the kindness towards us, so long as we stay in His kindness, in His grace. We don't become self-righteous. And that's a very big danger. So I think the pride movement, so it was easy to, to, to criticize that. I think we're missing some pride we have 
in our church and 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 in in the body of Christ, if you will. I mean, so the LGBTQ folks do not have a monopoly on sinful pride. And I, I once again, all pride is a sin. There should be no pride. Okay, that's the that's the first big thing. And it's very easy to forget that. <laughs> we sh- in our culture, it is shot through with it. Right, the 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 pride in in scripture here, thinking of it this way, is declaring oneself and one's goals as preeminent in any area of life, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride is sometimes confused with vanity. Somebody just likes looking in a mirror or something like that. We're we're talking a much deeper thing than that. Pride is saying, "My will be done." Okay, Christianity, in fact, is saying, "Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done." in my life on earth as it is in heaven, my life, my personal life, I want to do the will of the Lord. I know that the Lord's will is perfect. Mine's a, I've got a problem. That's a sin problem. So faith is our highest good, not getting our way. I think the, we have tolerated a prosperity gospel all over the place. That's, I'm, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm probably going to get some, some heat from this, but I think the prosperity gospel is far greater as a, a sin because it's being preached in Jesus' name than a pride movement. In, in, in the LGBTQ movement. That's set the table for that because it, it perverts the gospel and it prevents people from hearing the true gospel. And the fact that the church has not really gone out against that, they'll go out against other things, but they're not going out against the false doctrine in the church. That's worse. So I'll go with another one. Uh, the church has tolerated the false doctrine of Marxism. People and, and the problem with Marxism is that it is not neutral. It's not just an economic policy. And that's the, where people have been duped into thinking this. Guys, it's far worse than that. What it is, is that Marxism is idolatry of a state. It is, at best, it's polytheism. At worst, it's open rank idolatry. Okay? At, at worst, it's open idolatry. Polytheism is serving multiple gods. And most Christians today believe that the state has sovereignty over God in public spheres. Like, well, you can't bring... How many times have I heard this from Christians saying this to me? Well, you can't bring God into politics. Therefore, God can't trade. God's word has no authority over the affairs of men. That's polytheism at best. At worst, it's open idolatry. And do you think that isn't worse? God is holy. He's a, he's a consuming fire. He is a God of grace and mercy and patience. Yes, but he's holy, holy, holy. And for his own church to be telling the world, yeah, sure, we got to be neutral when we go out. When we go out and engage people in, in political debates, we're not bringing them to the cross. We're not, we're not telling them that Christ is preeminent over all things. We're telling them that, okay, we got to check that at the door and we have to use neutral reasoning. That is sin on steroids. All right? And so it's worse than, you know, you see the outward manifestations of a wide receiver in the NFL catches a five-yard pass and he celebrates like, you know, he just stormed Normandy Beach and defeated a Nazi single-handedly, right? There, there are no verses in, in the Bible that extol the virtues of ambition, pride, or self-esteem. None. But our entire culture, right, beginning in daycares, is in opposition to this. So he's talking about you've got to follow your heart. You've got to be true to yourself. We're more afraid of offending our own hearts and our neighbors, and we are God. So the opposite of the fear of the Lord is the self-esteem movement. We've tolerated that. And so therefore, we're not going to really have a fit over... Pride Month is because of these things. Pride Month is God turning this country over to the consequences of, 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 its, of its sin. 
Let's not forget that. That's Romans 1, 18 through 32. God gave them over. God gave them over. His response in judgment is to give them over to do what ought not to be done. So the question we should be asking when we're looking at this, instead of just sitting back and feeling self-righteous, Lord, thanks for not making me like these guys, should be to really ask ourselves, have we totally surrendered our hearts and lives to him? Is our bank account his? Our family? Our vocation? Our work? Is there any part of our life where we demand our way over his? Okay, and I'm going to go back to the Marxist idea in a second because I think that's also pertinent because it's so, it's so evident. It's so uh, ubiquitous throughout the culture. So before we get there, though, remember that the pride movement, it just hasn't come out of nowhere. Right? The theological tunnel vision that we can get here can cause us not to notice that the threat is in our lives and in our own hearts. I, 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 once, I, I recently had a controversy with some people that are Christians. I mean, they're, they're a Christian, Christian family and so forth. And I asked them, what sin are you accusing me of? And they, and they well, you know, there's no real sin. They don't, have a, they don't have an issue with sin. They had an issue with not getting their way. And they were mad at me because they just couldn't get their way. And so then they, you know, grumbling and complaining about some things. And, and, and I said, well, you know, we can't be fault-finding with each other. If, if we start getting on each other's case about personality things and, and making demands on one another, uh, that's a problem. And so my question is in this regard, how much unity is there in the church? When the rest of the world looks at the church, do they see the church really living according to the will of the Lord? You remember uh, in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians how Paul talks about l- lawsuits and, and, and believers. Um, you know, we have ignored the assault on, on the supremacy of Christ through the philosophy of humanism or the egocentricity of humanism that we've seen from the schools and through the media and from everywhere we go, where the average Christian thinks that the state, law, and economics are separate from the Bible. We've tolerated a public school system and, and, and of course, colleges that flat out preaches humanism. And then we wonder why the younger generation struggles with meaning, struggles with depression, struggles with addictions, and embraces sexual sin. As a small business owner, I'm constantly being told by marketing and advertising gurus that I need to better appeal to customers, right? They think the primary goal is for me to make money rather than glorify the Lord. This assume that profit is a goal rather than the skillful service of, of, my, of my discipline to the glory of God, to the service of neighbor. It's as though the Bible doesn't say anything about economics, this is so business and marketing is a field in which the Bible is utterly silent. But in fact, loving my neighbor to the glory of God is the path of, any, of, of a real business. The Protestant work ethic was founded on the great truths of Scripture. Today, though, many churchmen and women study ungodly principles of pandering and emotional manipulation for marketing, example, for example, rather than biblical ethics and biblical work. Pride is alive, especially there. God doesn't need my self-defense classes, right? But my neighbor does. God doesn't need your accounting skills, but your customer does. So we do these things to the best of our ability because God has given us these gifts in the first place. And remember, above all, the goal of our work is to serve our neighbor in the Lord through win-win relationships. The principle of godly work is that no one owes us anything and vice versa. That's Romans 13.8. Okay? So, but the Marxist work ethic is alive and well. And that's, and I told you I was going to get back to this. But why am I talking about pride? Well, the Marxist work ethic is here and alive today. We, even within the church, 
and, and the polytheism because of the, the sin principle of pride within us. The Marxist work ethic teaches us that we are to be served. Our, our future is to be guaranteed through somebody else's labor and effort. Other people owe us, right? We, we spin Romans 13, 8 on his head. Think of the way so many Christians think about work and the economy and law, and you will see humanism writ large upon them rather than faith. We believe that we're entitled to our neighbor's property. We don't even ask, wow, how did the government get the authority to tax income and property? It doesn't. That's called ceiling. There should be sales taxes or uh, uh, tariffs and so forth and so on. But income and property taxes? Really? We, that, again, that's a Marxist ideal. And we just accept it. So what we're doing is we're saying, well, this is the Lord's. And this is, well, on Sunday, I'll give my, my tithe or what have you. That's another, another podcast for another day. But we believe the state literally has the authority over our, our income, our property, and therefore our lives. That's polytheism. So do we rail against the pride movement, but then ignore the fact that Christians everywhere are not known as expert craftsmen in their, in their trade and, and, and people that teach consistently about the overriding sovereignty of Jesus Christ over everything? Do we lament the sexual sin that we see around us, but not the socialist idolatry, the poor work ethic, and the bad reputation of Christians? You see Proverbs 18.9 says, He who is careless in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Well, I mean, how many Christians do you know? How many non-Christians? Let me ask you this question. How many non-Christians do you know that will ask if they, if, they, if they have a job to get done? Do you know any Christians? I don't even like Christians, but they're such good workers. You can always re respect their work. You don't really see that too much, do you? That's to our shame. This, this leads to the next point, which is that we move farther from God and the principles of his word, all right, through self-indulgence. The less productive we are, it's because we're self-indulgent. We want to be served rather than serve. Pride convinces us that we're valuable to others due to our intrinsic goodness rather than because we're actually producing something. Okay? That, that's another thing that's in the, in the church. What, that lack of work ethic, the Protestant work ethic, the lack of biblical faithfulness of, I, I know the Lord secures my future, not my boss. I don't need social security. I don't need this. I, I have the Lord to provide for me. My job is within my family, not the state. That is the biggest, biggest level of sin, and it's all over the church, and they don't, we don't even think about it. So pride convinces us that we're valuable to others because we just are. And, but we're not. We have to produce something. Yeah, I mean, I said it. You've got to produce something. Nobody owes you anything. Your boss doesn't owe you anything, right? That, that's you all the time. The teachers are always complaining, not making enough money. I mean, that's just all over the place. Um, if Romans 13.8 goes one way, nobody, you know, don't owe anybody anything. It, it goes both ways. Our neighbor owes us nothing. Our boss owes us nothing. Our professors, our teachers, they owe us nothing. Pride lies and it flips the script so that we demand that our neighbors serve us. Pride demands win-lose relationships. That's Marxism all over the place. Pride is the theological foundation of entitlement. The Bible expressly forbids the use of force, regulation, coercion, or pressure in order to gain any value from others. We don't even hear this preached from the pulpits. When was the last time you heard that? To say that income taxes and all that are ungodly because the Lord loves a cheerful giver and no one should be forced to give under compulsion. 
The LGBTQ pride events are demanding that everyone honor them. And we catch that. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. You're demanding that we agree with you and celebrate your sexual sin. Now, that's not tolerance. That's demanding that that's actually intolerance. So we catch that. that that's aggressive. It's bullying. Right? Somebody says, well, hey, I was born this way. You can't criticize me because I'm, I'm, I'm gay. And I just come back and I can say, well, you can't criticize me either because I was just born a Christian bigot. <laughs> right? So, I mean, we definitely see the contradiction there. And we should. But again, we're not analyzing our own hearts. The Christian church in its pride thinks it's saved because it's a little bit better than all those other terrible people out there that are really in sin. I've got some problems. Okay, sometimes I speed. Some, I've run a couple. I've rolled through some stop signs. But I'm, I'm not a sinner like that. See where I'm going with this? So it's no different in theological origin, the pride movement, and not bullying, than a union demanding that the business pay their members according to their dictates. It's no different than politicians regulating so-called free business owners and citizens. It's no different than uh, Mayor Adams in New York City just the other day announced that, that Grubhub and DoorDash drivers have to be paid like almost triple what they're being paid now. I mean, what authority does Mayor Adams have over, over his private businesses having private property? And we accept it. Oh, that's a good thing because these people deserve his money. But it's none of your business. That's pride, telling people what to do with their money and demanding, and demanding security from the labor and, and effort and capital of other people is a sin. So the pride events that we see, the sexual it really is the sexual manifestation of the humanistic philosophy that Christians have tolerated and even embraced. The basic impulse of, of humanism is to be served. It's to demand guarantees. It's to worship the nanny state rather than God because humanism is self-worship. And self-worship hates frustration. It hates having to be patient. It hates delay of gratification. It hates risk more than anything else because that all proves that you're a creature. You're not the creator. Christians threw wide open the door to Marxist ideology because we don't trust the Lord with our lives and with our money. The downward spiral of self-absorbed hedonism is the logical implication of economic self-worship. A pride march is the sexual offshoot of an economic march. Let's say that again. The pri a pride march, when you're watching it, is the sexual offshoot of an economic march demanding certain rights and so higher wages and all that. Pride is self-worship and is seen in action by the demand that others give to satisfy our need. Pride is the philosophy of self on the throne, not God. The common denominator of all of it is that if God is God at all, then he is God of all. Our businesses, our labor, our money, our charity, our education system. But it's clear, isn't it? I mean, it's clear that the overwhelming majority of Christians don't know or understand this and don't care. We're conformed to the world's way of thinking. We're conformed in the education, the politics, economics, ethics. We hear it all the time about healthcare. I'm going to afford healthcare. We don't even bother thinking about biblical economics. We don't think the Bible has anything to say about it. But the founding fathers were well steeped in biblical economics through the book of Proverbs and, and, and law, through again uh, the Old Testament case law and book of Proverbs again. Do you realize, I mean, it is a far greater sin to be conformed to this world, for a church, the church to be conformed to this world, than for the sexual sin in the unbelieving world. If we don't think that the judgment will start with the house of God, we're not paying attention to Scripture. Because the latter, in fact, flows from the former because we're supposed to be salt and light. How are they going to know unless the church is modeling it to them? 
We give people a weak God. We give him one. Come to church. Our church is great. It's got a great band. It's got a, it's got an espresso machine in the lobby. We've got free donuts. It's wonderful. Big deal. They're not being told the real gospel. When was the last time that, that real gospel was preached in a church pulpit? And maybe if you're fortunate enough to be there and you see that and you hear that every Sunday, God, praise the Lord, that's really rare. We don't like to preach sin. And we don't like to preach sin. We certainly don't like, therefore, to see the excellency and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ because only Christ can save. Do we really think that God is not a God of his word? Do we really think that he's not holy? Do you really think he's going to not care that we're expecting a state to take care of us rather than him? Is it for nothing that he said, Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and these other things will be added to you. That's uh, Luke 12, 31, I'm paraphrasing. Do we trust his promises so little that we ask the idle state to assure our future rather than he who created all things? Do we really think his principles of economics and law aren't essential to daily life? Right? I mean, are they or are they not? Again, if his word is true at all, then it's true overall. This is the sin of pride. We have conformed to the world. We're prideful in thinking we can think and reason without reference to his word. So, to paraphrase Kuiper, there's not a single element of societal structure over which the Lord Jesus Christ isn't Lord. So yeah, Pride Month is a sin, but the greater sin is that his church is, in truth, polytheistic in practice, relying on the state for its economics and law. We saw this we saw this really bad during the COVID shutdowns. I had so many Christian friends of mine, and I'm, they are Christians, and I'm not saying they're unsaved, but they're weak brothers and sisters. When I said that the state has no authority to shut down private businesses over anything without having, if, if there's a fire, come and say, well, there's a fire, uh, clear and present danger, but it cannot, under a threat of something like that, come in and close churches in worship. And so people would say to me, well, Oh, well, you have to obey the, the, the governing authorities. I said, yeah, I know. That's Romans 13.1. What's the rest of the verse? The rest of the verse is, for there are no authorities except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's where I'm going with this. The pride of humanism is in our minds, and, we're, and that is impacting the way we're, we're evangelizing and living. Then the, thinking that God's word isn't, a, isn't the authority over schooling, over work, over family, and politics giving us the regulative principles and structures for everything. Us thinking that, that we're like free agents over here. We're in church, it's that church stuff. But over there, that's us. That's, that's on us. That's the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or that's this or that's that. That's the very thing that made Pride Month inevitable. Not just possible, inevitable. Sorry to say it, but it's true. So let's ask ourselves, have we sanctified the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds? 1 Peter 3.15. And lived in such a fashion that people go, hey, how are you guys doing this? Right? I mean, how are you guys so joyful, even in, in despair and suffering? How are you guys so loving? Is, are, do we truly and without reservation rely on him? When we have a controversy or a challenge, do we go to the word of the Lord and seek his will first before we try to get our way? Do we reconcile everything that we do back to the principles of Scripture? If we did that, I'm telling you, there would be no pride mo movement. Instead of trying to win that battle politically, guys, we should win it one heart at a time, and that heart 
totally, without reservation, unequivocally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ in grace, not because we're working our way to Him, but because He's come to us. We have gone astray, and He's taken a shortcut we didn't even know to get in front of us and said, Here I am, my child. Come to me. Notice the kindness of God. Notice the kindness of God. And we need to, we need to, we need to remember that. I'm quoting again from Romans 11. Have we still any islands, any island fortresses in our souls flying that, that, that detestable flag of self? So if we do, let's repent, let's turn to him. Let's really trust him. Really think about this for the first time in our lives maybe. That, and I know I did for the longest time. I didn't understand economics. I didn't understand law. There is no law on this planet that can get its righteousness outside of Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand that, oh, how terrible it is for us. How weak our faith. We should pray, increase our faith. And increase our faith, we increase our knowledge of Him. So that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just living heavenly minded. It's on earth as it is in heaven. What we bind here will be bound forever. We're the, you're called, you're saved, you're sanctified, you're set apart. So let's show the world that. And yeah, let us preach the gospel to everybody this June. But first, let's especially preach it to ourselves. Let's get the church in order. And the church then will be so beautiful because the Lord will make it thus. Because sin is what destroys things, right? Sin, sin is what separates us. Sin is what causes conflict. Sin is what causes all the problems in this world. Not righteousness. It is lack of, of faithfulness, lack of fidelity, lack of honor to the word of the Lord. Because I hear people talk about honor all the time, you know, in my line of work, honor, I have honor, I have an honor. Um, what, what honor to what? Honor the Lord. Honor the, the word of the Lord and obey his word and apply it evenly. And if we really do that, if that's the Sunday sermons, instead of this, this ridiculous and reprehensible, vile prosperity gospel of you plant a seed with your money and you'll be blessed so I get a quid pro quo from God. Now grow in righteousness and faithfulness. Trust him in all things and he will make straight our paths. So there you go. That's my thing on, on the uh, pride movement. Again, yeah, it is a sin, but the greater sin is how just weak and feeble the church is because it's just not thinking systematically. It's not totally, without reservation, relying completely on Jesus Christ and grace. And we're a lot like those Pharisees coming in and saying, hey, thanks, thankfully I'm not like that guy. Thankfully I'm not like those gay folks in the pride parade. Um, you know, we, we should be the most grateful, thankful, joyous people on the planet. Not Sinners that are presumptuous, thinking that we're better than anybody. We're saved, and hopefully we're spirit-filled, and we're full of joy, and, uh, and then it's sanctified. Then people will start asking us, why? They'll be asking us, how, well, how are you living like this? You don't, you, you don't seem like everybody else. That's the message of 1 Peter 3.15, and that's the way we, we take back the culture, not through voting this way or voting that way. Those things are downstream of the heart. Anyway, I hope this helped, and uh, again, I know it's a big subject, and I'll catch you guys next time.